The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. case studies, really. One, Welfare Mother, and the other one is Dear Margaret, and uh, uh, I'd like to begin with Dear Margaret and have us do some discussion over a subject that may seem very simplistic, but seems to occur and reoccur, and we never learn the lesson. Uh, this even seems like an extreme. How many of you have all read the case study? Or, uh, seems like foolish to even think that someone would do this, but... Uh, maybe not. It happens. It happens, and it continues to happen. Um, could I get a reader, please, so that the folks who listen to this case could hear the case study? Would someone read Dear Margaret? Well, you're close to the mic, but there you Dear Margaret, you'll never guess what I'll be doing next Wednesday night. I'm going to be leading a Bible study in, pre- in a predominantly black ghetto on the south side of Chicago. It's a long story. A young couple at our church, Ed and Linda Riley, have been holding a Wednesday night Bible study in one of the worst sections of the city. Last week was their last week. They're quitting. They say the Lord must not want them there anymore since they haven't gotten any response. No one has been saved and they've been there for every Wednesday night for two months. It's a shame because Ed and Linda have a burden for the souls of those poor people. And believe me, the people are poor. It's only 50 miles from Palatine into the city, yet it seems like thousands. What a contrast from lawns and trees to concrete and tall buildings. And Ed tells me that the unemployment rate is higher than 40%, probably because most of the people have never been past the seventh grade, and they don't make their children go to school either. I went to observe their last study and to see how they did things. I wasn't prepared for the way these people live. The streets are so narrow and crowded with parked cars. Kids playing in the street, oblivious to traffic. Broken glass and garbage are scattered everywhere. I couldn't believe they played in such filth. People stared suspiciously at us as we parked and entered a door leading to a narrow flight of stairs. Up five flights, through the garbage and filth, and past tightly closed doors. On the fifth floor, we stopped to catch our breath, then unlocked one of two doors and entered in. What a relief. A clean room. Bare, cracked wallpaper boarded over windows, but clean. I felt I could breathe again. Ed said they had hoped to get some chairs and put up some curtains, but they never got around to it. After a brief tour, we went back downstairs and outside to round up some kids. Ed handed me a bundle of tracks and said they usually passed them out as they invited people. Only a few curious boys followed us upstairs. They were young, probably 7 to 12 years old, and they too were very dirty. They sat quietly in a circle and waited expectantly. We tried to sing some hymns, but it turned out into a trio. They didn't know any hymns. Only one boy had ever been to church before. Ed remarked that they all looked new to him. None had been to the Bible study before. Ed read John 3.16 and told the boys of God's love for them. It didn't seem to be sinking in. Finally, the oldest boy asked, If God loves us, why do we live in a dump? Mm -hmm. That started it. The others clamored their agreement and added more. Not enough food to eat, kicked out of school, divorced parents, crowded apartments, and the garbage. 
I thought they didn't notice, but apparently they had just resigned themselves to its constant companionship. I must confess, Margaret, I couldn't answer their questions either. Finally, Ed dismissed them since they wouldn't settle down. He said most of the studies ended this way, bitter complaints and questioning how God could love them and yet let them live so wretchedly. We left in silence, wondering why the kids seemed to care more about food than going to heaven. I pondered the situation as I drove home from Ed's house. Can I do anything different? Pray for guidance for me, okay? I'll let you know how it turns out in Christ's aid. Okay, uh, again, something that continues to plague us and a story that never seems to die, lives on forever, and uh, we continue to perpetuate this case study in many of our ministries, especially, if I may remind us, especially where we're bringing people from outside in a setting which is um, uh, soliciting... um, uh, students uh, soliciting people that are very uh, very concerned about doing something for the Lord and coming to the urban context without a certain amount of preparation. And these are the results. And so what were some of the things that you could see in this, uh, read into it, uh, um, uh, look at some of the implications? What struck you as you read this case study, going from the very beginning of the case study? Well, it made me mad. <laughs> um, just at how narrow their perspective of the gospel was. It was all, I think, all completely focused on the spiritual and on heaven and nothing to do with any anything of the present mm-hmm. at all. Um, and, I mean, especially the comment about how could they care more about food than going to heaven. And I just thought, well, the guys have never been hungry then. I mean, this, this, Dave's never been hungry. Or he would understand that, and um, and I think that and they could they weren't able to deal with any of the questions that the boys raised, and I think I think they weren't even thinking on that level. So they were only thinking on the level of the gospel is for salvation from hell, yeah, which is okay. you know, and and so they weren't able to deal with any of the questions that the boys raised because the gospel didn't cover those things in their mind. What kind of a theology, what kind of a church would you assume, you know, just speculate somewhat. <laughs> what, what church would they attend? What, what was their basic theological uh, commitment? Um, yeah. Very fundamental yeah, church. Yeah. And also I think it's really uh, uh, from a suburban church background, Dave and uh, Ed and uh, Linda. Mm-hmm. Basically, they come from a middle class and uh, socioeconomic middle yeah, class. and middle class, and then also suburban kind of church setting. Uh-huh. It's more conventional. He used more conventional kind of method approach, giving out track and try to bring a kid in, and then do as the Sunday school did in a church. Huh? The kind of method they are using. Okay, they're crossing cultures, but they're totally blind to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what would their view of the gospel be? To save uh, their soul. <laughs> Salvation from hell. Okay. Um, a clean home. Uh, uh, Excuse me? You have to know the Bible and have a house, clean house to be a mm-hmm. Christian. There you go. <laughs> Let's look at the second paragraph at least. 
uh, how would you uh, define in the last sentence, it's a shame because Evan Linda have a burden for the souls of those poor people, and believe me, the people are poor. Mm. What do they mean by poor? Is it social economic? Is it, um, uh, is it spiritual? Is it, uh, what is this matter of poor? How are they using it here? Pitiable. Yeah. I think social economic is how it sounds like he's using it. If you pressed him on it, he'd probably say it's economic, but I think if you didn't press him on it, it probably means like poor victims or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the third paragraph deals with their distance about uh, living uh, 50 miles from Palatine, uh, from the city, uh, living in Palatine. Um, what, again, is this typical of, uh, is it a gospel blimp approach to ministry? <laughs> you drop these tracks out and flyers from the sky someplace. What, is this typical of what happens in evangelical communities today? If yeah. you look at 8.6% of evangelicals in the city, uh, what does this say to us? Is it something of the past? Is it something of the present? Is it something of the future? Present. And past. And future, probably. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very optimistic. <laughs> This, this is a striking subject only because I think we're, we wrestle with uh, the same thing. Now, why is it that they're not thinking about moving 50 miles? I know the area of Palatine in Oregon. It, I mean, I had some people I had to visit because the church had drifted out of the city and I wanted to visitation. It would be just one call for that day because it was 50 miles away. Very affluent community. Why? Why do we think this way? That we can minister from such a distance? Uh, what is involved in our theology, our perspective of ministry, our philosophy of ministry, our worldview? What? What do you think? That we have the liberty of, of functioning this way. I think there's maybe like three reasons why people do ministry. One, you do it for yourself. You do it for God, or you do it for other people. And if you do it for other people or yourself, you're going to lose. Kind of like, and I, I think, I mean, they're either, I don't think they're doing it for God in this sense. I mean, they're either doing it because they think they're doing it for other people, or they're doing, or maybe a little bit of both. They're doing it for themselves because it's going to, you know, make them a well-rounded Christian or something, or you know, fill out the resume. Or, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know if I want to read that into their motives. I just think they're misinformed well, yeah, that's or true. ignorant. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was pretty they ignorant before I moved to Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I'm not saying there's such thing as a pure motive either. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's not. But. Um, there, there is a bit of pride in the sense that they're looking down. Mm. They're passing a judgment on the people as well as reaching out to them. Yeah. Well, I think two evangelists who would have a very, very tremendous <coughs> excuse me, inspiration to evangelize poor people uh, are uh, they cannot they cannot be assimilated into the low class society. They still enjoy their middle class life in the poor society. I mean, they have clean house, they, have, they, they are looking for another furniture to 
decorate their their home. I mean, uh, we have I think to evangelize locals or to evangelize uh, uh, in a city, uh, we have to make an effort in both ways, spiritual way and social economical way. Mm-hmm. I think they try to make. I think they they try to approach to poor people in a spiritual way, but point, yeah. Yeah, they they fail to approach them in social economical mm-hmm. way. They still isolate people mm-hmm. with the poor class life. Again, this is our difficulty. Some of the Hesselgrave that he doesn't touch on communication. Um, other than the cultural dimension, doesn't go far enough into the social, economic, political, mm-hmm. so that his view of communication stops at a certain point. Culturally, it needs to go further, and that's what you're saying as well. That it needs to go into the social, economic, which is really a strata to cross and and to be able to minister. Um, this this case study is a, is is something that. Uh, you would hate for someone to write about you, but it's certainly it's certainly something that you may find yourself in straits about because of various tensions. And I want to say that this is an ongoing procedure of evangelism in evangelical circles, reform circles today, that we think that we can minister. And I think there is something um, something pathological, something wrong with our theology as well as we look at the needs of people, how we perceive them. So in some ways, these folks, all of them that are listed here, are victims of a particular setting, which are trained to do ministry like this. And you see, this is, this is theological education. What if you were to learn that they came out of a Bible college or a seminary, and they were trained, well-equipped in the Word of God? Now, in some ways, we assume that there was no training on the part of these folks that are going in, a very serious training. We assume that, because it's not listed here, of course. But I think that, uh, how is their approach to um, uh, gathering, and uh, uh, what did you sense? I mean, here they are leading songs, they're, they're using a particular text, John 3.16, they have a way of gathering people from the streets, What's favorable, what's unfavorable? What strikes you as uncomfortable in this case study? I would not bring the tracks. <laughs> I'd bring a ball or something. <laughs> no, they, they see the kids playing in the street. That's what the kids want to do. Mm-hmm. Why not join in for a while? Are you asking them to build some relationships? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the time mm. issue is hilarious. I mean, two months. Yeah, I mean, we haven't made it. Two months since nothing has happened. I mean, mm. this guy lives 50 miles away and he's complaining about two months. You know, I mean, mm. um, I mean, I just even look at, like, where my husband and I are living and we've been there a year and a half, and, you know, um, and we're living there and, and it, we're still struggling to really know what it means to be in that community. You know? mm. And it's just, I mean... So yeah, you gotta you gotta get somehow inside and, and, and live in the community and be there. And, I mean, you can't just gather a bunch of strangers in a Bible study and all of a sudden you know be Billy Graham about it or something. Everybody's gonna open up and share or something. Well, there's no continuity after two months either. 
They, they, have, they have a different bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah they have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's, they don't well, even know. Why? Why are they having different kids? What happens in their meetings? That's not exactly attractive to the kids. Yeah, you don't want to somebody else that doesn't know what's going on. Plus, it's obvious, even he made that one comment, every month they all look new to him. I don't know if that was before. It's like he's not even sure. He probably doesn't know any of the kids' names, even, or anything about it. Well, listen, why do, why, look at the first, beginning of the first paragraph on page two. Ed read John 3.16 and told the boy of God's love for them. It seemed, it didn't seem to be sinking in. <laughs> now, I know most of us around this table would have started with John 3.16. So, on. come on now. But what, what's the sense of this? What's happening? What is this matter of theology, concreteness, application, abstraction? I don't think I can ever think of a time where I've gotten in a circle with people and you know, just like started thumping them on the head with the Bible, like the scripture. I, I mean, I've, I've been in Bible studies, but um, every Bible study that I've been in, um, get to know the people first. And then, then you pick the scripture that works with their needs, not, not the one that you think sums up the Bible. I just—he's yeah. gotten—he's gotten a lot of input already. He said every single meeting in the same way. Mm-hmm. Questions can't all be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah he should be figuring out. <laughs> the problem is the problem is that most of uh, Christians who study the Bible in the room, they 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 meditate on the message of the Bible in their speculation, but. Bible is the Bible was written in the context in the situation. God loved the world, not the church. God loved the poor people. You know? And it was written in the poor people, it was written in the situation of oppression. But I, basically I think her 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 knowledge of the Bible is very superficial. Now, now, I think for our benefit and our exhortation, uh, it, when the question comes, if God loves us, why do we live in the dump? That's a profound question. If God, here is the abstraction, you know, God loves us. So what? God is coming. Same question. We deal with this abstraction when we're sharing. I think... Uh, brother, I'm saying in some ways that we do theology in our study and not in the cosmos and the agora of the people, the common people of the world and so forth. But how would you answer that? If God loves us, why are we in such a horrible situation? What answer do we have? I think if I look at that, you know, I also agree with most of you, I think, probably is also theology. Probably over over conviction over the authority of the Word of God. Sometimes you stress the authority too much. You would believe that if you preach the Word of God, then definitely people like you will change, and they preach an irrelevant sermon. Even in probably in this school, sometimes you could hear irrelevant sermon. It's not like context, you know. I think. Honestly speaking, you know, yeah, honestly speaking, 
Therefore, they have failed to see that the authority at times should also come with deeds, you know. Really have to know the context of the people. I think they are unprepared, in a way, probably they are unprepared to answer this question. Secondly, probably they will spiritualize, spiritualize the answer in a way. God loves you, He will care for you, care for your soul. Now in, in this way you are like Lazarus, but next time you will be in Abraham's bosom. Yes. You enjoy. Yes. Good, good point. Yes. Um, adding to the very end of it, um, uh, it Brother was saying that we're, we're working in a context, the, the vertical context, uh, seemingly the vertical context of spirituality, and not on the horizontal level of when they say not enough food to eat, kicked out of school, divorced parents, crowded apartments, and the rest of the dimensions. Um, that's their reality. That's their situation. And they're, they're coming in uh, uh, a kind of like super cultural. Like there's nothing occurring historically or socially in the lives of people. My fear is this, and my fear is that a perpetuation of his approach to theology and ministry is will continue forever unless we begin to approach some of these questions and train people in a different manner. And I think what we're saying again that they were ill-equipped theologically to to deal with this. And we're we're very we're very capable of dealing with these points that uh, never seem to have. Um, sufficient commitment to where people are living. That's why in our, in our class we're trying to say that I want to overemphasize the context. The reason is that the context is often excluded. And, um, and so Margaret, dear Margaret, presents to us something that we're going to fall into or half of your congregations or all of your congregations are doing it anyway. And it comes back from leadership and theological persuasion. Well, how are we teaching? And what are we doing? Here's where I feel the dialogue between theology and the social sciences has to be also included in your agenda. Because people live in a situation, a concrete reality, you know, a historical reality. We don't know how to answer these questions. What do I do about my social situation? They would know. They're going to go back and uh, I must confess I couldn't answer their questions either. Yeah. And uh, I dismissed them uh, because we were singing as a trio. Another portion of thinking, and by the way, I think some ethnocentrism is here too, superiority. Shouldn't they know Amazing Grace, or shouldn't they know, um, uh, you know some of the old hymns from the Trinity hymnal? And uh, they didn't. What would you have done if you had them in a room? What would you have talked about? What Would you have sung these songs? I would have gotten the songs from them. Or at least... You might have to learn how to rap, but... Hey, all right. <laughs> uh, some of their songs, if you're creative, you could write them. But uh, that's not always easy. Um, I thought maybe, too, they ought to attend church in the city and find out what songs the city church sings. You mean the, the very guys nice. that are coming in? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk about their ecclesiology. What, what view do you think they would hold in their view of the doctrine of the church? Who are the... The guys that are coming in, the folks that are coming in. Well, maybe all the people being said for tax purposes. A neatly kept building where you come on Sundays to mm-hmm. go to Sunday school, go to church, and come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night. 
What if I told you that there were several churches right on the corner, right on the block, in the neighborhood? Uh, Afro-American churches. Probably every city has numbers of corner churches. They probably are like the people that Christian was talking about yesterday, believing that there's no spirituality or no life in the city. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all moved out. So probably they figure the churches are not have too much. The Elijahs. Yeah. Yeah. I've come to save the city, the Messiah. (laughs) (laughs) No one else can do it. So what? What ecclesiology? What kind of view of the church do they have? How culturally conditioned is it? Otherworldly. Otherworldly. Okay. Christ against culture. Niebuhr's terms. Um, Another form of colonialism. Colonialism. Isn't that uh, they come into a city want to raise up uh, maybe a standard uh, in a way uh, they keep the car house very tidy and bring the kid in to impress the kid <coughs> so they still maintain the house very tidy clean yeah. I think what they should do is in order to bring the kid in probably they should do imagine uh, talk to a kid and then not be with the kid on the street. I think yeah. that's more effective rather than bringing the kid into the house. Uh, yes, uh, I read a book, uh, radical, radical evangelism to liberation, something like that. Uh, radical evangelism. Radical, radical liberation theology. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, which is uh, which is written by. Uh, a, a, a Christian who served in South 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 America. Uh, his background totally Spanish. Uh, you know when when he was in uh, Colombia, Argentina, something like that. Uh, he found uh, most of liberation liberationists, most of liberation theologians, most of activists most of protagonists belong to middle class. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when they, when, you know, the, the people who, whom he met in the prison uh, came from very well-educated background, you know, rich, rich, rich parents, uh, upper middle class. I mean, at that time he recognized uh, their consciousness uh, is separated from their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this, this, these evangelists have, have the same problem. Yeah. Uh, I have the same problem too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, uh, uh, I think it is what I have to do. Make, 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 a, make a corporation. Mm-hmm. In my life and my consciousness, I think uh, uh, the the thing she has to do is to move to in a, in a city, move to in a, just just to live in that. It is the only way she has to do. Again, we have a, a theological uh, commitment that they have. I'm sure that would maybe put them in a segregated situation, meaning that they would see contamination. They would see that to be righteous, you must not be involved in the city because that's where you're going to be contaminated, that's where evil reigns, and so forth. So 
we have much to work through, and that's why I see the biases theologically, the conditioning theologically, that really has a tremendous influence on you as you begin to uh, do ministry. And it shows up. It just comes out, just like calories do. It shows. <laughs> and I think this is uh, something that uh, uh, it may seemingly be invisible, but uh, comes through. I'd like us to deal with welfare mother, but I wanted you to turn to your notes, if you would, on um, the last section where I was dealing with defining some segments of elements of culture. And I'd like to quickly just uh, have you help me through this in viewing. Some of the questions I will ask you uh, relate to uh, these, uh, this definition. But we began with... Uh, uh, culture uh, as being dynamic and uh, any, uh, what are your notes uh, underneath that subject? Culture is dynamic. It's a constant motion. It's a constant motion. Uh, because people are constantly interact with one another. So we have this dynamic that's constantly changing and so forth. What else do we have underneath that? Uh, anything else you might have added? Okay, let's go to the second. So culture is process. What do we have there? Human systems are being symbolically communicated um, and enculturation from one generation to another. Mm -hmm. Okay. Each generation passes on something of itself and uh, so we see this process of enculturation. It goes on throughout generation, and especially through child-rearing, it happens. Um, culture is a context for behavior and values. Do you have that? Yeah. Okay, what do you have there? Culture is the guide. Yes, it, it really is. I, I know that you may not think that, especially some folks that feel we don't have a culture. And your question was, what is the American culture, the middle class culture? I think that would be well to define uh, for us. Culture is like a large bl blueprint, a guide setting out parameters within which life, with all its rich variations, is carried out. Let me just say one thing about this. I, I feel again, when I heard Tony Brown speak of this subject, when he said to the Afro-American educational system, really, which was a very alternative education uh, ministry in Washington, D.C., he uh, it stayed with, it has stayed with me for years. Uh, if you don't know where you have come from, you don't know where you're going. And he was speaking to them in order for them to write new texts, develop curriculum that would help their children's children understand their historical realities and go back and write the textbooks. Because he felt that if history was distorted, if history was again damaged by the writers of history, which were not Afro-Americans, he felt that it would also distort and uh, um, manipulate the lives of young people and their future. Now, so you see how important that might be for us. I don't know how many textbooks you have read where there's been um, anything very, very substantial about the Asian community, the Native American community, the Afro-American community, or the Hispanics in the United States. What contributions have we made? But as we're being taught this, you may not recognize it, but we come out of it certainly feeling and understanding that we are inferior. That there isn't any contribution or anything of quality of life that we've presented. 
And so I went through school systems really saying, where were we? The only time there was some evidence of anything was in people that were displayed as the Mexican that was having siesta, or the the Cisco kid on television with Pancho. And uh, there was there were no images for us. There was no historical situation in which we could hang our hats. On the contrary, the society was telling us that we were extremely inferior, especially that we had a foreign language. And in those days, it was maximized. So, uh, culture really is important, uh, and it provides for us a guide. Culture is learned, number four. What is, in your notes, what do you have? Language is a major part of that. Language culture. What does that say to us about missions? Yeah. Uh, most difficult here in the United States because we we have a common language of English. Mm-hmm. But in other cases, we don't have a, uh, a choice in the matter. And yet, I don't know how you feel in uh, in your part of God's world, whether in Korea, Asia, uh, that uh, missionaries are learning. Do you feel they have really hooked in the idea of learning the language? symbolism is meaning. I, I think if you don't learn the language, I think you don't... I think, or I should say, learning the language, I think not only do you learn words to communicate and people realize that you're identifying with them, but you learn a whole pattern of thinking. I mm. think the way words and language and sentences go together and stuff, I think, you, I think if you don't do that, you miss a whole level of the way a culture processes things and thinks things. Mm-hmm. I think other than that, other than that, one of the things is very important. I speak on behalf of the Chinese culture. Even, um, uh, for example, in Chinese languages, we have a, a lot of dialects. You know? yes. Mandarin is our common language. Probably most of the educated Chinese who have been to school, they know Mandarin. But if you want to speak, want to minister to the other, to Chinese who speak with different dialects, you have to know the dialect so that they may feel at home, especially if uh, they stress a lot about the relationship. Then if you are able to speak my dialect, I definitely feel at home. You are part of us and, and we can communicate. I think, I think for, uh, for pragmatic reason, it's very important to learn the language. It's not only, for, it's not only that uh, we could uh, mm-hmm. communicate, but yeah, also right. mm-hmm. so that they could be part of us. Precisely. Right. I, I, think, I, I remember yes. uh, what Jesse Jackson said. Who's that? Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. You always bring these brasses. I got very impressed you know, by what, what he said. Uh, he said about English. You know, Don't blame anyone who cannot speak English. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very real, impressive uh, comment. Yeah, I, I love this idea. So, so how you direct this uh, culture? Don't blame anyone who can't speak Korean either. <laughs> I think one of the things that I was reading uh, recently, um, just in the adjustment that uh, an English teacher that was black was working in the black community and basically had to say to her children, don't get rid of black English. 
But you must understand the English that will be on the other side of the table when you apply for employment. The other one, they will let you into colleges. So she had to maintain black English because it was the kind of English that produced cohesiveness in community, helped parents and family come together and talk. At the same time, they had to learn the other English that allowed them to go into the work in the marketplaces. And so both of those are important. The same thing is true of the Hispanic culture. Uh, but we consider them inferior. You know, when we hear, uh, so in some ways, if I was to work in the black community, I have to learn um, the meaning, the symbols that they're using in the black culture. Words are going to have different meanings in different places. And then I still have to be able to, and I have, I've had to do that so that the Hispanic can talk uh, in the community with his people. And they will recognize whether you come from the community, not by Castilian Spanish, Spanish, but rather whether you speak Spanglish, which is a mixture, which is always often considered inferior. So they have to learn that, but then they have to say, yes, sir, um, what must I do now? Now, the community, they would be getting the old bro and the rest of it, they've got to keep that, but then they've got to learn the other. They're going to be competitive in the market. So you have a discipleship process that's very seemingly very uh, abnormal to most people because I've got to prepare them fully. It's not only to learn the scriptures and so forth, and, but it's able to communicate it in several contexts. So therefore, we're multidimensional. We have to be in our community. We have to be able to speak English, Spanglish, Spanish, and also that other kind of language. So, urban. You've got this dimension. And uh, so language is really very important. I think I appreciate what you're saying, that it's more than just for communication, but it's also understanding the meaning of the context in which you're serving in. Well, I don't know how many of you want to learn another language other than Greek and Hebrew in this classroom. But I want to encourage you that it would be important for us to learn. I don't know how Brother Lim, is, he's been very active in kind of, if you're in his classes, you know that uh, if he hasn't learned the English language, he's really, he's really doing a pretty good job of interacting and, and taking the risk. Most of us may not do that if we were in another setting. But I think it's important for us to consider the opportunities of learning other languages. Uh, we're asking Claire Davis to really learn Korean here, so you can teach church history and, and other languages that come along. But culture is shared in number five. Any, uh, what are your notes? Well, it's kind of like the common ground that holds a group of people together. It can't, it's not an individual phenomenon. Groups. I have one point over here. I don't know whether it should be aided here. Yeah. Um, recently I read a book by C.S. Song who, was, who is teaching a Pacific theology. The same. He's a radical Chinese theologian. Uh -huh. uh, uh, definitely, I, I kind of agree with his theology, but I think he has some profound insight. You know, he, he is criticizing the Western theology, the Western missionary approach. But the book you may find in library, tell us your name, you know. Oh. Tell us your name. And he even, he said it's very important that we have to know you know, the folk tales of a, a particular culture, the, the myth that they are doing. He even tried to exegete the, the myth and the, and the folk, uh, folk tale. Because in the past, we think that uh, the Bible is the only authoritative book. We try to dismiss all the folk tales saying that all these uh, non-Christian, un-Christian. 
Uh, because the meat and folk tales, in a way, uh, could uh, in a way um, could express the feeling and suffering and the culture of a particular people. Therefore, he is trying to exegete it in a way. I think it's very important. You know? Yes. Culture is creative. Um, what about that? Changes and adapts to meet new situations. Yes. Especially with crises. Crises does that even more rapidly. Mm-hmm. Yes, crises. Uh, and you find that in welfare, and that's why I want to see what happens as you see this culture. That's why. Uh, not C.S. Lewis, but Oscar Lewis, when he wrote his book on um, uh, the, um, oh, it slips me now, but just, it was a book on the um, Hispanic family in Puerto Rico. And he's an anthropologist, but I find him to be more of a seller of novels than an anthropologist sometimes. I get disturbed with some of the things that, but after you read the book, after I read the book, um, I, years ago, I felt, I felt terrible about it because basically, he was not fully dealing with uh, uh, the whole Hispanic, the Puerto Rican culture on the island of Puerto Rico. And uh, therefore, it left you with a bad taste about females and so forth. You, you, you've got a wrong view of, of what I thought the culture was communicating. Um, culture is continuous. And again, we don't have to say much on this, except that it's, uh, it's something that the seeds of today are really are really developing and and they're created and changed by by people. There are things that you have right now that I know that if we were to sit down long enough, we would see uniqueness about your own your own setting, your own culture. Um, and I'd encourage you to do some of this discovery for yourself. I think it's important. Culture is a struggle for survival, and here again, culture is developed by people who are coping with their environment, and so. Uh, they're trying to live in this environment that's changing. And so culture is also part of that struggle for survival, to, to live in a context in which, which is being changed. Culture gives meaning, number nine, which is something that we've talked about several times. And uh, again, the, the, the absurdity of trying to do ministry without understanding culture. That's why I would say to you that if we do not we don't have any opportunity of learning the social sciences like anthropology and so forth, it's important that we we have more of a handle on the social sciences, which is again removed. We have a Western view, which is again theology and philosophy are in context in con, in, uh, uh, in dialogue, and I am recommending that we begin to think about theology and the social sciences more than we have in the past. Culture can be ideal and real, and I think we just maybe said the word but didn't. And all I am trying to say here is that, uh, that what people do in actual situations is real culture for them. What they say they believe or ought to do is ideal culture. And you make the distinction between them, um, but don't erase one for the other. Um, what I'd like you to do, just kind of skipping some areas that I don't think are very important on this matter of defining culture, but it's giving you a sense of really some elements that are important. Um, I'd like you to, to answer several questions for me, uh, if you would, and I'm going to divide you by twos on this, uh, if we can work it out. I'm not sure how many students we have. Um, 
the first question I'd like to, uh, considering um, welfare mother, um, I'd like you to see um, taking into, uh, into account number two, which is culture is process. Uh, describe the situation in which uh, welfare mother, um, uh, the context in which welfare mother is written, and tell me how you see that culture is processed. See where you pick up any of the pieces where you find culture is processed. Uh, number two, taking the, con the book uh, Welfare Mother. Um, number four says culture is learned. Describe for us what you would have to learn in order to minister in the context of Welfare Mother. What cultural elements would you have to learn in order to minister effectively um, in this context of Welfare Mother? Uh, number three, um, describe, taking into consideration number eight, culture is a struggle for survival, describe what you would see as ways in which you could enter into that situation and build relationships. Okay, and if we could pair off just the way you, you are now, two and two and two and two. And uh, you can take your break uh, and you need to get some coffee, but please continue. We'll stop about a quarter two or so, ten two, and then come back into Welfare Mother and then continue with our study on the subject of trust.